Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 129, Descent into Chaos. This chapter will see a breathtaking whirl of emperors and their various attempts to do the right thing while mainly doing the wrong thing. With the notable exception of the short reigns of Theodora and Isaac I, pretty much every emperor who sat on the imperial throne between 1041 and 1081 was completely useless. It's a strange thing, but perhaps the best of the rest was the man who led his troops into battle at the small town of Manzikert. But that is for the next chapter. For now we must stop to see how Zoe's third marriage works out. But before we even do that, it's time to introduce two new enemies of the Romans who will play huge roles in the troubles and eventual decline of a once great empire. One came from the far east and the other from the far north. The Seljuk Turks appeared on the empire's doorstep sometime in the 10th century. They had emigrated from their homelands in Asia and settled in what used to be Persia. These Muslim people had not been much of a problem for the empire as the Abbasid Caliphate was in between the two. By 1055 though, the Turks had captured Baghdad and virtually ended the Caliphate. Now, they were definitely a problem. Everyone has heard of the Normans. The first Norman warriors had arrived in what is now northern France in the 900s and set about carving out a kingdom for themselves. The most famous Norman is, of course, William the Conqueror, who conquered the Anglo-Saxon Kingdom of England in 1066. Almost as famous, though, is Robert Giscard. Robert's father, Tancred of Hauteville, and his brother, known as William Ironarm, conquered much of southern Italy and Sicily in the early to mid-11th century, and it was the Normans who finally took away the last little bit of Italy ever to be part of the empire. Robert became the Count of Apulia, the local ruler in 1057. But neither of these new enemies would cause too much trouble for a few years, so now back to Zoe and her new husband. Constantine XI had it all going for him. He was healthier than Michael IV, less of a dreamer than Romanus Argyris, and not as silly as Michael V. He was, though, lazy and irresponsible, and did more damage to the empire than any of them. He started by spending all the money. Zoe had been quite annoyed that her previous husbands hadn't bought nice prezzies for the wife, but she didn't have that problem with Monomachus. Unfortunately, he also spent wads of cash on himself and his girlfriend. He gave wonderful titles to his friends. It was no longer any good to be called patrician. Now people were called most magnificent patrician and things like that. It was bad enough that these people were getting silly titles, but Constantine also gave these people salaries for their non-existent jobs. Very quickly, the money saved by Basil started to drain away. Monomachus was then persuaded to recall the great general George Maniarches from Italy and sent someone to replace him. Maniarches was known for his temper and he showed it when the replacement arrived. He seized the poor man and filled his ears, nose and mouth with horse poo and then tortured him to death. After this smelly act of rebellion there was no turning back and George Maniarches had himself proclaimed Basileus. He marched on Constantinople, defeating the imperial army at Thessalonica. Sadly for the great general, he was wounded just as the victory was complete. He died of his wounds and his rebellion fell apart. His head was cut off and taken back to the capital, where it was impaled on a spike in the Hippodrome. The foolish emperor then celebrated a full triumph, where, guess what, the rebel leaders were paraded around the Hippodrome backwards on a donkey. Italy was lost to the empire. They would hold on to small bits for a few more years, but imperial power in the home province was finally gone. The worst thing Constantine Monomachus did to his empire was let the army slowly fall apart. 
He gave over some of the power of the themes to non-military men and weakened the commanders. He gave his friends important military commands, which unsurprisingly they weren't much good at. The army was not trained or drilled like they had been in better times, and was soon unfit to defend the empire properly. Constantine Monomachus himself, though, was very lucky. During his time on the throne, he survived rebellions and a full-scale attack by the Russians. Only a lot of luck and a lot of Greek fire saved him. But what about marriage three? Poor Zoe had a husband who took very little notice of her, had a girlfriend in the palace with them and spent all the money on his friends. So what did Zoe do about it? She did the only thing possible which would get her out of the situation. In 1050, Zoe very sensibly died of natural causes. She was 72 years old and had briefly, between husbands, ruled the empire for just under three months. According to the historian and politician Michael Psellus, she was still very beautiful when she died. Michael Psellus is a man we will soon meet again. In 1054, the Catholic and Orthodox churches finally fell out for good. The crisis started in a silly way. The patriarch, Michael Serularius, wrote to the Pope and called him brother. To the Catholics, the Pope was leader of the church and should be called father. The Pope, Leo IX, took great offence and was even more offended when he realised the letter was calling him Judas because he disagreed on how the Holy Spirit was related to Jesus. Yep, these things are important to some people. Constantine was eager for there to be no trouble between the churches, so he invited some papal envoys to Constantinople to sort out the mess. Unfortunately, the Pope sent a terribly anti-Orthodox man called Humbert to represent him. Michael Serularius was no better, and the two men spent the whole time feeling insulted by each other. Soon after Humbert arrived, Pope Leo died, and so he was now representing nobody. He asked if he could leave, but Michael refused and kept him confined to a house in Constantinople for two months. In the end, Humbert was so annoyed he had had enough. He burst out of the house and marched into the Hagia Sophia, walked up to the high altar and slapped a document on it. The document said that Michael was excommunicated. Humbert stalked back to Rome and Michael excommunicated him and his companions right back, just to get even. Had there been any sensible people in charge of the churches, this could have been easily fixed, but there were no sensible people in charge. It seems that for the 950 years since this incident, there have never been any sensible people in charge because the split has never healed and is called the Great Schism. Since 1054, the Catholic and Orthodox churches have never been united again. Even though his reign was a disaster, everything must have seemed okay during the time of Constantine Monomachus. The wealthy lived lives of luxury, and the important people had the times of their lives. The universities were also thriving, and people like Michael Psellus became powerful. Soon, this Michael Psellus is going to do something that will bring disaster to the empire. Later in 1054, the emperor, who loved to have long baths, had a bath which was very long. It was very, very long. It was far too long, and he got a bit cold. Constantine became ill with a disease called pleurisy, and in early 1055 he died. He was about 55 years old and had reigned for 13 years. Theodora, elder sister of Zoe, despite being in her mid-70s, vigorously claimed her right to rule. She was brought out of her retirement in a convent and was proclaimed Basileus by the Imperial Guard. A purge of senior officials and the leadership of the European army followed. The great general, Nicephorus Bryennius, who some people apparently wanted to proclaim emperor instead, was also dismissed and exiled on Theodora's orders. Theodora's second period of rule proceeded where her first left off. 
By firm administration, she controlled the powerful and stopped corruption, but she damaged her reputation by being cruel and severe with her enemies. Military and court offices were filled by her friends, and even good commanders like Isaac Comnenus were replaced by nobodies. Theodora, though, became very ill with a stomach disease in late 1056 and died a few days later, on the 31st of August, at the age of 76. She had ruled for a total of 20 months. Theodora was the last of the great Macedonian dynasty. They had ruled the empire for 187 years and produced some of the greatest emperors since the loss of Rome. The two Basils, Leo the Wise, Romanus Lecapanus, Nicephorus Phocus, John Semisces, these great men now disappear into history. The future empire would never be as glorious again. Before she died, Theodora named a man called Michael Bringas as her successor. Nobody was quite sure why. Michael was not a soldier, in fact he hated soldiers. He was an administrator and was already quite old, although nobody knows how old. He was so old, he was given the name Michael the Aged. Michael Psellus said he was less qualified to rule than to be ruled by others. In Holy Week, it was the tradition of the Emperor to reward those in the army and civil service who had done good jobs that year. In 1057, Michael VI rewarded all the administrators in the civil service and gave them loads of big bonuses and promotions. Then it was the term of the army. The two commanders, Isaac Comnenus and Catechalon Kecumenus, bowed to him and waited for their praise and promotions. Michael insulted them and yelled at them that they were useless. He then turned on Isaac, shouting he had nearly lost Antioch and accusing him of being a terrible leader and of stealing money. The army was stunned. They expected him to apologise, but he didn't. And of course, that meant the end of Michael the Aged. First, Nicephorus Bryennius revolted, but he was captured, so the army turned to another man. Isaac Comnenus was the son of Manuel Comnenus, the Strategos Autocrator of the East under the Emperor Basil II, who, in 978, had defended Nicaea against the rebellion of Bardas Sclerus. On his deathbed in 1020, Manuel begged Basil to take care of his two sons, Isaac and John. Basil had them educated at the monastery at Studion, and afterwards gave them, gave them important jobs. Isaac became one of the commanders of the army under Constantine Monomachus. Isaac Comnenus was proclaimed Basileus by his troops in 1057. Supported by his fellow commanders, he marched on Constantinople along with the whole of the Eastern Army. More and more people joined him as he marched. Soon he was camped outside the capital. Michael the Aged realised his only hope was to find a way of coming to agreement with the rebels, so he sent Michael Psellus to talk to Isaac. Psellus reached Isaac's camp trembling with fear. He was convinced the rebel leader was going to laugh at the offer and have him killed. He was brought into Isaac's tent and delivered a great speech in which he declared the emperor was offering to make Isaac Caesar and name him as his successor. Michael was astonished to find that Isaac agreed. Tonight, the general said, you'll dine with me. Tomorrow you will carry my message to your master. Is this the thing that Michael Psellus does that brings disaster? Well, no, it isn't. While Isaac was agreeing to his offer, Michael the Aged was overthrown by some senators. When the word reached the rebel camp, Michael Pacellus was again convinced he was no use to Isaac and he was going to be killed. Again though, Isaac treated him kindly and even asked for his advice on how to govern well. On September the 1st, 1057, Isaac Comnenus marched into Constantinople in triumph. The senators welcomed him in. 
Michael VI had been emperor for exactly a year. After being deposed, he lived as a normal citizen and died a few months later. Although he's known as Michael the Aged, nobody knows exactly how old he was. Many times before, we've seen emperors who didn't have long enough to show how great they could have been. We won't need to list them all. The early end to the reign of Isaac Comnenus, though, was probably the worst as it took away the last chance for the empire to survive in any great form. If he had been able to continue his work strengthening the army and improving the government, then maybe, just maybe, he would have been able to hand a strong empire over to his nephew, who was born the year before Isaac became emperor. The young man did become emperor, but by the time the great Alexius Comnenus came to the throne, the empire was in ruins. The new emperor, says Pacellus, began work on his first night in the palace. Isaac started by strengthening the army. Again, after his work, they were well trained, and again they were properly paid, and again they were led by good commanders. He restored the theme system, appointing good military men to lead them. Next, the new Basileus realised he needed to restore the treasury after Constantine IX had spent all the cash. He imposed new taxes and seized land given to Constantine's friends and allies. He also seized church property, but came up against Michael Serralarius. This was not a good idea, as Michael was incredibly popular in Constantinople. Isaac, though, was determined. In November 1058, Michael left Constantinople to visit a monastery. The empire saw his chance. He had the patriarch arrested and tried to force him to resign. When Michael refused, Isaac had him arrested again. Some charges of heresy and blasphemy were invented by Michael Psellus, and the patriarch was disposed. He died soon afterwards. Isaac had won, but he was never quite as popular afterwards. So is this the thing that Michael Psellus does that brings disaster? Well, no it isn't. The people were not quite sure of Isaac after this event. The army, though, loved him. He led them into battle against the Magyars and won. He led them into battle against the Pechenegs and won. This was a remarkable victory. It said that the Pechenegs, who were afraid of nobody, saw the unbroken line of shields of the Imperial Army and were so scared they attacked only in small groups. Then they announced they would do battle again in three days and ran away. Three days later, Isaac marched out to find them, but there was nobody there. The Pechenegs had fled. The Imperial Army took everything that wasn't nailed down from the Pecheneg camp and returned to the capital weighed down with treasure. Isaac Comnenus was a man of great energy. Just like Justinian before him, he never seemed to sleep. By 1059, the empire seemed safe from enemies and well run after years of bad management. Even when he wasn't working, he would be out hunting rather than resting. It was while he was out hunting that Isaac started to suffer from a fever. At first he dismissed it as nothing to worry about, but soon he became very weak. He became so ill that he was convinced he was about to die and wanted to name his successor. He had been going to name his brother John, but Michael Pacellus persuaded the very sick emperor to name instead one of Michael's best friends. Isaac named him as his successor and retired to a monastery to die. He had reigned for just over two years, and the empire would come to regret that it wasn't much, much longer. He died probably a few weeks later, aged 54. Some people think he may have lived another few months. So, is the successor suggestion the thing that Michael Pacellus does that brings disaster? Well, yes, it is. 
Michael Psellus describes Constantine Ducas in glowing terms. Everyone else describes him as a woolly-headed, bumbling, aristocratic idiot. He was almost completely under the control of Michael, so it's not surprising that Michael thought he was great. Within weeks, it was obvious that Isaac Comnenus hadn't turned round the fortunes of the Empire. His short reign was just a blip. One happy moment in the middle of chaos and bad management. Constantine X wasn't a soldier, and he forgot about the army. He spent his time writing clever little things about the law. Michael Pacellus and his friends, though, didn't forget about the army. They realised there had been many military rebellions over the last few years, and the last one, under Isaac Comnenus, has succeeded. They couldn't allow that to happen to Constantine Ducas, though, could they? Nope, because then they would lose all their power. So what did they do? Did they make sure the army was well-paid and well-led so it could serve the Empire and not want to rebel? Well, that would have been the sensible option, but no, that is not what they did. This is what they did. The army was given less and less money to pay the soldiers. The generals had most of their power taken away, and the peasant soldiers, the most important people in the army, were slowly replaced by foreign mercenaries, paid soldiers who had no loyalty to the Empire. They were only loyal to the people who paid them most. Peasants were encouraged to pay money to the government so they would not have to serve in the army. Of course, none of this was going to make it less likely the army would rebel. All it was going to do was make the army weak so it wouldn't be able to fight off invaders. Basil II had left the army strong and the enemies of the empire afraid. This is why it took so long for the enemies to notice the empire was no longer strong. Constantine X and his government of administrators and intellectuals finally weakened the army enough for the enemies to take some notice. The Seljuk Turks had arrived in Armenia. Worse, it was entirely the fault of the empire that the Turks had arrived. As we remember, Basil had managed to persuade the Armenian king to leave Armenia to the empire when he died. The king finally died in 1045 and was as good as his word. Armenia was given to the empire. Constantine Monomachus had been very pleased, and even tried to pretend that success was somehow down to him, which of course it wasn't. Constantine IX though was bound to muck it up, and muck it up he did. He began to persecute the Armenian Christians because they were still monophysites. Constantine X and his stupid government didn't put a stop to this, in fact they made the persecution worse. Then they disbanded the Armenian army of 50,000 men. Wait a minute. Have we heard that right? Constantine X disbanded the Armenian army. He let all the soldiers go home. Yep, Constantine X left Armenia undefended. So what have we got now? We have Armenia, which is full of mountains and easy to defend. It's a perfect buffer between the empire and its eastern enemies. And what's the emperor done with it? He's got rid of the army so it can't be defended, and he's persecuted the people so much they probably think the Turks may not be too bad. So what do we say about that? Yep, stupid, stupid, stupid. By 1067, Armenia had virtually completely fallen to the Turks, and they'd taken the capital, Ani. It's said the entire population of the city was either killed or taken prisoner. The Turkish leader, Alp Aslan, was merciless and powerful, and decided the empire was very weak. Pretty soon he was raiding into Cappadocia without finding very much resistance and by this time the emperor was also weak and ill. Constantine Ducas died in 1067 after a reign of just a few months over seven years. He was 61 years old. 
Even as he was dying, he was still being stupid. He demanded his wife swear an oath that she would not remarry, so the throne would go to one of his useless family. Eudocia, his wife though, knew the empire needed a soldier as an emperor. There was no way the empire was going to drive back the Turks if the Ducas family were left in charge. She managed to get the patriarch to allow her to break her oath and married a man who was one of the few military men who still had some power. Romanus Diogenes came to the throne in 1067. As we will see in the next chapter, just four years later his army was wiped out and the Turks had the empire at their mercy. Even then though, it didn't have to turn out as badly as it did. Unfortunately, the imperial leaders were too stupid to realise they needed to stop fighting amongst themselves and do something about their enemies. Next time, we will hear about the disastrous Battle of Manzikert. Until then, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.